This episode of Trip Weddings is brought to you by Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. Just enter the offer code WED at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace. Build it beautiful. This week on Trip Weddings, managing client expectations. Many of the issues that photographers struggle with when it comes to customer service are a direct result of not properly managing client expectations. Today, we're going to discuss how to go about managing client expectations, why it's important, and share some of the most important expectations to set to avoid stress and ensure a positive customer service experience. And welcome back to another episode of TWIP Weddings. Once again, my name is Bruce Clark, and I'm joined as always by Mr. Robert Evans and Mr. Brian Capricci. Morning, guys. Hello, hello. Excellent. Well, this week um, we're going to uh, we're going to dig into a, a pretty interesting topic that I think we've kind of touched on briefly in, in other episodes before, but we're going to really uh, pay it some justice this week. So we're going to be talking about managing client expectations, and uh, I think one of the you know one of the best ways to avoid uh, you know issues with customer service and ensure that you've got a great customer experience is by managing and controlling client expectations kind of right from the start of your relationship. And so we're going to share ways that we do that with our clients and kind of manage that that relationship and expectations throughout the duration of our interactions with with our clients. But... Before we do that, uh, we want to remind you ways that you can participate in the show. We've got a bunch of different ways you can interact with us. Uh, first off, you can visit the website at www.thisweekinphoto.com weddings, and there you will find the uh, show notes for each episode, and those show notes contain links to everything we talk about on the show, and you're also welcome to leave your comments and feedback for us in the comment section. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, tell us what you think of the topics we're talking about. Is it useful information? Is it not useful? Uh, is there information we're not providing that you'd like to hear? And that may inform uh, future topics, future episodes. Uh, if you do have a question, another way you can get a hold of us is through email. So if you want to email us, our email address is twipwed at thisweekinphoto.com. Uh, or if you prefer using social media, just add the hashtag TwipWed to your post, and we'll periodically keep our eye out for those posts as well. And if you want to uh, sort of follow us and uh, interact with us, we've got a couple of uh, options. We're on Instagram, so you can follow us at TwipWed. Uh, and we have a Facebook group, so facebook.com uh, slash groups slash TwipWed, and we'll post in there as well. So, without further ado, let's jump into the show, and we want to talk this week about managing client expectations. So, I think, you know, many of the issues that photographers struggle with when it comes to customer service are usually a direct result of not properly managing client expectations. Would you guys agree? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so today we're going to talk about how to go about managing client expectations, why it's important, and we're going to share some of the most important expectations to set to avoid stress and avoid and ensure that, you know, you can have a positive customer uh, service experience with your clients. So I know that, Brian, you've you've taught on this topic uh, specifically and, and written quite extensively on this topic as well. So this is kind of one of those topics that's near and dear uh, to your heart. Oh, yeah. Um, and Robert, I'm sure you've the same with your years of experience shooting weddings. You've probably uh, learned a lot and, and figured out how to set you know, client expectations. So I want to ask you both kind of what, what do we mean, first off, by setting client expectations? I think like, you know, like, well, you can take the word expectation and it also ends in the same word as, you know, the same letters as communication. And I think that's really where the key is there, is basically upfront, 
you know, letting the clients know what to expect, but also in turn um, telling them what you expect of them as well. Because again, like any relationship, it's mutual and uh, both people have to know what side. And when we started talking about doing this topic, you know, of course, you can't get away from the thought of contract. And, uh, you know, the contract, I think, is the most important part, not the most important, but a very integral part of this process. Um, and I know as time goes on, and we've talked about this before, but in my business, you know, my contract evolves as things change and technology changes and things like that. So I think it's important to stay on top of that. Um, but it's a broad topic. I mean, just beyond contract, I think that's a very important part. You know, it's just upfront communicating with your clients, telling them, you know, how you work, what you do, how the process is going to go, um, and then, you know, moving forward. Okay. I want to I come back on a, a question for you about contracts and how you kind of go through those with your clients. But I want to see, Brian, kind of what's your take on, mm -hmm. how, do you, how do you view expectations or setting client expectations? Well, I think like fundamentally the idea of client expectations is that um, like, and if I just pull up I, an article that I wrote about it and, and I, in it I defined what expectations actually mean um, via the dictionary. And it, an expectation is defined as a strong belief that something will happen or be the case in the future. And I think the very problem with that is that oftentimes as photographers we're so close to what we're doing, we know our own policies, we know what goes on, we know what timelines are like, we know what turnaround is like. Um, and so we kind of often make the assumption that our clients know these kinds of things. And even again if you like reference sort of thesaurus.com, assumption is synonymous with expectation. Right. And I think, I think that inherently is the problem that most photographers will run into is that they kind of make the assumption, oh my clients know these things, the client makes their own assumption and that's where we end up having this clash of beliefs and clash of understandings. I think at the very basis of it, we have to understand that every client will come to us as photographers with sort of a pre-existing understanding or set of expectations or assumptions on how things will happen. They might have experience with another photographer and with that photographer they got digital files but maybe you don't offer digital files. They may have been in a wedding party last year and that photographer um, came to the prep. Maybe they're assuming that you're just going to come to the prep. So they come with their own set of expectations based on their experience with photography, based on their upbringing, based on their own belief system. And unless we actually address that and like Robert said, communicate what our guidelines are, what our policies are, um, you're every single time going to run into a clash of expectations and that's where you run into big customer service issues. So I think that's like the crux of it in the sense that they come with one set of understanding, you have your policies, unless they match up, you're going to run into issues. So setting expectations is the process of making them match up. Right, I, I agree. And I think, yeah, we, we've all heard the saying, you know, assume makes, you know, you know, we know what assuming does, makes <laughs> an ass out of you and me, right? Right, And yeah, you're right, I think a lot of people come in with certain expectations and maybe, they, like you say, they've learned them from another photographer that they yeah. work with or maybe they read about something on a, you know, one of these many wedding, you know, wedding sites that give advice and things and so they might come in with a certain set of expectations. So for both of you, I want to I ask, how do you, how do you know what your client's expectations are? How do you go about figuring out what your client's expectations are? and then make sure you're 
giving them your side so they make sure that they're of the understanding that you know this is the expectation and it's not what they maybe have in their in their mind I think you just have to simply ask um, I guess you could take you know when you said that the first thing I think of is um, you know running down the wedding day and how I think that works and how I work and um, and I do that in the consultation so we're talking you know I kind of give them an idea but I think whether I started or they started, at some point I ask, you know, what do you want? What are what do you want to happen? What shots are important to you that day? What have you seen that you like and that you don't like? You know, those type of things. I mean, of course, you're going to probably get a client that loves your work, and so that's why they're hiring you. But, you know, I've had brides ask me for shots that I probably normally would have not shot. Um, and... I don't care whether you think that shot is hokey or not. Um, if it's important to her, I'm going to shoot it. It may not, again, end up in my portfolio or on my page or my blog, but it's important to her, so I want to make sure that I get that. Um, so I always ask those questions, you know, what do you want, what do you not like, um, you know, those type of things. And I think that's just the easy way. Again, it's, you know, back and forth, it's a dialogue between you and, and your client. Yeah, and I think that falls into the category. Brian, you wrote, I was reading your article. It was a great article because I really like the way you kind of boiled it down to four mm -hmm. kind of key areas. And I think what Robert is talking about is kind of in the in the deliverables. But you sort of broke it down and sort of said these are kind of the general categories of expectations. You've got timelines, mm -hmm. deliverables, price, and availability. So I'd like to maybe touch on each of those. So I think that's a, those are really good broad categories to define these things. So when we talk about deliverables, let's, let's start there since, okay. since Robert kind of put us in, in that direction, let's start with deliverables. So when you talk about deliverables with clients, obviously, you know, having that conversation with them at the beginning as to what to, what to expect. Let me throw a situation. I see this all the time on forums, uh, people posting, photographers posting, you know, after the fact they've got clients either demanding more images or they want the raw files we probably we've probably all seen that and maybe even encountered that with a client um, or two over the years how how does that relate in terms of the deliverables what's what's the what's the problem there what's the issue that's occurring there that you see in your in your mind well I, I think it actually comes back to perhaps even a bigger problem than just that deliverables one and I can I can maybe comment on that one specifically but if I maybe just for a second pull away from that and say that that is probably being asked and that's probably being expected because you hadn't explicitly discussed that beforehand. So again, they came in with the expectation that they would get RAWs. You didn't explicitly say that they weren't getting RAWs, so they had nothing left but to assume that that was the case. So I think that happens tens if not hundreds of times for, for many, many, many different kinds of policies or guidelines or expectations that are just not communicated properly. And so I think the the bigger answer here is to be extremely explicit in your communication and in everything that you do with your client. Um, I sort of think that there's, I've identified five main ways that you can communicate, how, you know, these policies and these ideas and it's not just all in one format. Like you can't go through every single policy you have in person with a policy guideline with your clients. But at least if you make an effort of doing it in many different ways, whether you talk about it on your website or you blog about it or you use social media or you do it in an email or you do it in your contract or you do it in an in-person meeting, um, these are the kinds of things you have to be explicit about and you can't make assumptions. So specifically about that situation, I would say that it could be avoided by um, having the conversation about what they're actually getting. 
like when you're doing your first meet and greet, make it a point to work that into a conversation. I don't think it's entirely useful if you just say, okay, Mr. Client, like let's sit down and I'm going to walk you through all my policies so that there's no misunderstandings here. That's not really a useful way to go through it because it's going to feel very lawyery. You know, it's going to feel right. very like, here's a policy guideline. Let's walk through each line item individually. Yeah. I think that what we need to do is understand what are the things that we want to be communicating, what are the policies we want to be talking about, and try and work them into a conversation in a way that's conversational. So for example, for that particular example, when I'm sitting down at the meet and greet with a client, I might say something like, um, I, I'm curious to hear what your experience is like with other photographers in the past. Have you ever been photographed professionally? Have you ever been in a wedding party? What was your experience like in that situation? They might talk a little bit about it. I might then say something like, that's really interesting. What did your friend, what did your, your family member, whatever it is, your sibling, what did they get from their wedding afterwards? Did they get a beautiful album? Did they get just like a boring old CD of images? What did they do with those photos? And that then starts the conversation. And then you can say, well, great. Every one of my clients actually gets a beautiful wedding album. Let me go ahead and show you one of those. With that wedding album, you'll also get the archived JPEGs on a USB key. So like I'm I'm making a point of having that conversation, but not in a way of just saying, here's what you're going to get, period. There's no conversation around it. I think it needs to be, like Robert said it perfectly, I think it needs to be like that ping pong match where it's like asking questions, having dialogue, and sort of having having a conversation about it instead of you dictating your policies. Right. So Robert, I want to uh, come back a little bit to contracts. One of the things you started off with was talking about contracts. So I think outlining and specifying those things in the contract would be a key element. How do you deal with clients that just don't read that stuff? <laughs> and they come back afterwards and they, you know, they well, still have a... And it just also, I want to just sort of add on to what Brian said. Um, you know, you have to choose when you have those specific con conversations, mm -hmm. depending on what you're going to talk about. Yep. So sometimes my thought when he was talking is like, oh, I wouldn't want to have maybe that conversation before they've given me a deposit and signed a contract. But once they do... Uh, and a good time maybe to reiterate all that stuff is your final consultation a week or so before you do the wedding and you're sitting down with them or while you're doing the engagement sitting, you're having conversation, you're dialoguing. You know, I think that's a good time. So all I want to say is just use common sense when you bring up mm -hmm. those topics because sometimes some of them can be touchy. You know, right. well, I yeah. think also with that, Robert, like you don't want to overwhelm them either, right? You don't want to have right. all those at the same time. So like space it out to when it's appropriate. Right talk a little bit, you know, about lighter stuff at the engagement shoot, and maybe when it's two weeks before the wedding, you know, you are reiterating, all right, so you're going to get your proofs in this time frame, yep. and we're going to do an album afterwards, and uh, my policy is, and I, I get this question a lot, is yes, you know, I, I kind of can't get around the digital files, some I sell, some I don't, but I make sure that they understand you are not going to get your digital files until after the albums and all the orders are done. And I do that for a specific reason so that it motivates them to get their albums done. You know, and it's like the one thing we have left because I still to this day am, and right now I'm delivering stuff that people, that I shot film if you want to go that far back. Yeah. Because you know, people just take their time and drop off the face of the earth. And um, so anyway. As far as contract goes, um, again, your contract needs to evolve as things change. It's okay for something to come up and it happen to you, but you need to say to yourself right then and there, all right, this is never going to happen to me again because I'm going to adjust my contract so that 
it clearly states what my expectations are. Um, I can name several things in my contract that have changed over, over the years. My cancellation policy, uh, how I deal with digital files and what they get. We were just talking about that. Um, the second photographer issue, you know, like before we had digital and iPhones, which is the problem now, we still always had, you know, the Uncle Harry or Uncle Bob, whatever you want to call him, at the wedding. And so dealing with that. Um, so I've always had those things that I would sort of enhance or continue to add to my contract. Um, making sure that they understand what's in the contract, again, I think goes back to, you know, us as the photographers, but specifically for um, items that you want to make sure that they understand, I do this in my contract, they have to initial that clause as well as sign it. So one of them is understanding, you know, the aspects of somebody else taking pictures at a wedding, uh, and I want you to initial that. I am the only photographer that's there uh, at the wedding, and if I'm not, you know, understand that, you know, I, I could walk away until that stops, you know, that type of thing. Um, I've changed my cancellation policy over the years. I think we've talked about this before because it happened to me many, many years ago. And I did get the client to pay me because I threatened to sue them and told them that I had a contract. And, uh, you know, I got lucky and they did. Um, but then I changed my cancellation policy to, you know, 90 days or more, 60 to 90 days, and 60 days or less. And there's all different things that happen within that. And I have to say, I have two different times I've had clients cancel uh, under 60 days prior to the wedding and both times I got paid in full because it's in my contract without question. They like, I understand we have to pay you and they did. Yeah. Um, so I think it's important just as, as, as those items go on, if you really want to make sure, you know, have them initial it and then discuss it with them. You know, again, maybe you wait until, I don't know if it's deceptive or not, but you know, you, we don't always want to get into the depths of the contract because you don't want to throw up roadblocks before they sign it and give you a deposit. But maybe once they do, you know, it's their job to read the contract. We can all put ourselves in that place. Like how many times, when we get software, how many times do we ever read any of that stuff? We just accept it so we can get the software. Right. We don't really read what's in it. But it is your job, you know, as a, as a purchaser or a buyer to read the contract and know what you're signing. Um, but maybe, again, at the final consultation, it could be one of those things that you're just reminding them, like, remember, I'm the only photographer that's going to be there. Um, you know, other guests taking pictures is a distract. You know, like, you're just sort of lightly, as light as possible, going over those things. So I think, again, that's the best way to do it in yeah. my business. I agree. I think looking at things, if there's, if there's a common issue that's happen more than once. I think that's an opportunity where you have to sit down and say, why Why does this issue, why is it occurring? And is it because we're not managing expectations properly? Did we not define it properly in the contract? Did we not include it in, you know, in, the, in one of our meetings with our clients? And then make, like you say, make a point to change your policy or, or update your contract or make it, make a point of bringing that up you know, in, in the, uh, you know, in whatever meetings you have with your, with your clients. I think it's always an opportunity to improve on those things so that you can avoid, you know, the, the possibility of those things, you know, right. happening. You know, something that you said, this, this, this is really, this can apply to anything in life, but I do this a lot at my weddings too. If something happens like that, if my bride runs late and she's not within my three hour timeline or, or whatever, cause I do my best as human beings, 
I think we need to accept responsibility for those things and not blame. Because it's so easy to blame somebody else for, oh, blah, 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 blah. But if you accept, if you have that attitude, like, okay, my bride was late today, even though I did da-da-da-da-da to make sure she was on time, what could I do better? You know, accept that that is your problem or your situation, but determine to make it better. And if you have an attitude like that when things, like, happen to you in life and you accept responsibility for them and not blame other people for your problems, you will grow, you will be a better individual, your business will be better. I mean, it's, it's those type of things where you're like, all right, I'm going to accept responsibility for this and I'm not going to let it happen to me again. Yep, agreed. So I think another area, sort of a key area, is, is availability. Um, and I think this is a really important one, and I think this is this is one that, right from the very beginning, your very first point of contact with a, with a client is going to set the expectation and dictate kind of when you're available and when clients can get a hold of you. Because we've got so many means of getting a hold of people these days. We've got text, we've got phone, we've got email, we've got Google Hangouts. We've got like there's so many different ways of getting hold of, of people. And I think there's a lot of people that complain that they don't, you know, I hear a lot of photographers that say, oh, man, I'm always working or I don't have this work, happy work, you know, work-life balance. But they're answering emails at midnight and they're, you know, clients are phoning, phoning them at 1030 at night and things like that. And they're actually, without realizing it, they're actually encouraging that behavior because they haven't managed the expectations. So how do you balance? Here's my question to both of you. There, let's say an inquiry, a lot of inquiries we get tend to come in in the evenings because people are at home, they're on the computer or whatever. We get an inquiry at 9 o'clock at night, 9.30 at night. They always say that if you respond to that inquiry within a half an hour or 15 minutes, you stand a greater chance of, of hopefully getting a meeting with that couple and, and hopefully even book them. But how do you balance that with resisting that, that temptation of, okay, now if I respond to that email at 10 o'clock at night, now I've set the expectation that the client now knows, okay, Bruce is at his computer at 10 o'clock at night. I can call him or email him at 10 o'clock at night, and I know he's going he's gonna to contact me back versus waiting till the next business day, and maybe by then it's too late because five other photographers have already gotten back to them. How do you manage that? Brian, I'll start <laughs> with you. Okay, here we go. I have some good <laughs> thoughts on this. Um, first, I would... I, I want to set the expectation in the photographer's mind, like our listeners, to say, and this is perhaps a little bit bold, but it's okay. I'm all right saying this. Nothing that we do really could be considered to be urgent. You know, if I get an email from my client saying, hey, I want to book our engagement session. One's good for you. Me replying within 15 minutes is not... Like that's not an urgent kind of request. That it's like, oh my gosh, things are burning down, and I need to reply right away. It's like, no, like waiting 12 hours is not going to be a horrible thing in that particular situation. So I would just encourage photographers to get out of the mindset. Often when we get emails like that or inquiries or whatever it is, we see it because we have our phones and we check it and we read it immediately, and our brain automatically will start processing it and feeling like we should reply to it right away get out of that mode because you don't need to reply to it right away. It's not urgent. Nothing that we do I don't think can be considered urgent unless it's on a wedding day and you get an email from your client saying, hey, where are you? You were supposed to start five minutes ago. That would be considered urgent, but I would say anything shy of that um, could not be considered urgent and it would be okay to wait. I also think, just as a side note, this is like in perhaps the sales side of things, um, I don't think that we should be replying to emails, inquiries right away anyways. I actually don't think that it reflects well on us if we reply to inquiries right away. Because what does that say? A, especially if it's at nighttime, if I inquire with, with a service provider at 10 o'clock at night and I get a reply within 15 minutes, I'm thinking either A, they're desperate for my business, 
what's wrong with them that they're so desperate, and B, it's just setting a completely wrong expectation with me that they're going to reply to every email from now on within 15 minutes of me sending them an email. So I don't think that we should be replying anyways. That being said, I think that with availability, you said it exactly right, Bruce. Like Our clients will mimic what we put back at them. So if we treat them and we show them that we'll reply within 15 minutes, regardless of what time of the day, then that's what they're going to expect from us from that point forward. So I think that we need to set that expectation right up front, right from the first inquiry to say, these are the hours that I'm replying to emails, or these are the times I'm replying to emails. If you get in their head that you're replying within 15 minutes every time, they're going to expect that every single time. Yeah, you're conditioning them. Totally, conditioning, you're conditioning them. Like you're setting that expectation that that's what they can expect. I think, let's just say that you're a photographer and you're saying, listen, Brian, I'm, I'm a busy working mom and I've got kids, and so the time that I answer emails is at nighttime. Okay, that's totally fine. What I would consider doing is use a tool such as um, Boomerang for Gmail, which is a plugin that you can, in fact, maybe that'll be my, my pick of the week. It's a plugin that you add into Gmail that allows you to write your response, and then instead of clicking the send button, you click the send later button, and then you specify when that email will actually be sent out. Mm -hmm. So if you're writing all your emails uh, to your clients and your replies and your inquiries at 10 o'clock at night, you can say send tomorrow morning at 9.15 a.m. So that way to your clients, it looks like you're replying between the hours of 9 and 5. Um, call me traditional, call me whatever, but I like a bit of a work-life balance in the sense of working 9 to 5, having evenings, weekends off when I'm not shooting. So I like my emails to go out to my clients between the hours of 9 and 5. So I'll do that for that reason. So that would be just like a little tip. If you're using a studio management software like ShootQue or Tave or maybe you're using Sprout Studio, who knows, um, you can schedule emails right in there too. So you don't have to use the Boomerang plugin. Yeah, nice. Robert, how do you manage the the on the communication side in terms of the, the availability? Because again, people, I know you prefer the phone, right? You're a big proponent of using the phone. How do you manage um, clients that just want to text you all the time or just want to email you all the time or, or at odd hours, how do you manage that and how do you set those expectations? I don't get too much of that. I have a few that have, have done that um, and again, accepting responsibility for that, that's my fault um, for communicating with them after hours or, or those type of things, but overall it, it doesn't um, happen because I generally return emails within business hours as well but I am one that like I would like you know if I get a decent inquiry that comes in over the website um, and I see that it has potential you know I might write a quick note back and just acknowledge it so I say hey Lisa I saw you sent me a form I'd love to talk to you about your wedding you know, however, it's nine o'clock right now, and I'm I'm with my family. Is it okay that we communicate tomorrow? But at least I got back to her and saw that, and I set the expectation, telling her that this is my time, not your time. Uh, so, you know, that sort of sets a precedent. You know, doing it that way. Um, and I agree with Brian. There's, you know, there's nothing that we do is urgent. Um, I, you know, I look at my email and check my phones. You know for the reason that I get something like that. Um, I think we're also a lot of it guilty, and I find myself doing this too, is like you want to return that email because you don't want to forget about it. Um, that's happened to me. You know, you look at something that comes in on your phone, you're like, oh, I got to do that, and then you get 10 other emails, and it gets pushed down, and then you realize two days later that you didn't address that email. <laughs> yeah, you, you replied to it in your head and then didn't. Right, you know, like because you looked at it, 
So if that's you, then you know sometimes you have to then save it as new, and you know that's something that you need to do is save it as new so that when you go back at ten the next morning when you're on your business hours, uh, you can reply to it. Um, as far as texting, you know my clients don't usually have my personal cell phone number unless I give that to them, you know, on the wedding day. Um, a lot of times. I, I have their phone numbers, of course, and I am making calls for my cell phone, so it can happen that way where they're like, oh, well, he called me. Um, I also actually use it kind of as a tool, you know, with the Sony cameras, they have Wi-Fi in them, and I can send pictures out of the camera. So maybe I'll pick one image on the wedding day at the reception, I'll text it to my couple, and I won't say anything, I'll just send one image. So they might have my phone, and they realize, oh, okay, Robert just texts me now, he's never texts, who is this? But then they realize that's my cell phone number. I am kind of taking that risk. I do have a, a number on my website, on my contact page, where you can text me, but it is not my personal cell phone number. Uh, it's through my phone service. Um, and it does come to my cell phone, but they don't know that. But then I can opt to return that or not return that uh, if I want. So that may be another way. You know, you could look into that. But again, I think it's just, you know, setting boundaries. That's probably the best word, a boundary. You know, but you tell your clients, you know, how you want to be communicated to. And if you want to be a slave to your phone, then be a slave to your phone. But if you don't, then, you know, just by your actions on when you return, even if they text you at midnight or 10 or whatever, and you don't address that till the next day, you will subtly set your own personal boundaries. And if it becomes a problem, then I think it's something that you need to write a polite email and be like, hey, Lisa, um, I know you've sent me a few texts, but, you know, as much as possible, I have work time and I try to balance my life out and so family time starts at 7.30 at night and I will return your text tomorrow or you just sort of let them know what are they going to say to that because again like Brian said there's nothing urgent. Yep. You know, just because it's urgent to them doesn't mean it has to be urgent to you and again going back um, and, and this may sound harsh too but once I get a deposit and a contract they're on my terms. You know, I might bend some of those rules prior to getting the job, but once I have the job and they're on my time, it's my time. Yep. I th I, I'm dealing with that. I've got a client this year that you know, she likes to text with, with just random questions and things. And I, you know, I had the first time I replied, and I think that was my mistake. <laughs> I replied, and I kind of set the expectation that okay, if I text yeah. Bruce, Bruce is going to get back to me. And I, and I realized I, I better, I got to nip that in the bud right away. So I basically just let her know, like I prefer that if we could keep these communications via email, it's just better for me organizationally to make sure I don't lose in track of any important details about your day. Um, and then just let her know, like text is fine on the day of the wedding if there's an emergency or you need to get a hold of me. Short notice for some reason, but I said otherwise if we keep all our communications via email, it just helps me stay on top of things, make sure you're getting the best service. Well, and, and think and about that, that if it's a he said, she said, you have a record in email if it ever comes down to a legal thing, yep. but in texts, it's a little more ambiguous. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and texts are just, I mean, they're hard to keep track of. If I have it all in one place, an email, I can, I've got labels for each client job, so when an email comes in from them, it automatically gets labeled, so they're all organized nicely in Gmail for me, and so I can just go back and see that record of communications very, very easily. So I prefer, although I like talking on the phone, I'm, I'm with you, Robert, I think you can accomplish a lot with a, with a quick phone call. Um, there is that, you know, again, that that can become a he said, she said if you just have that conversation over the phone as opposed to having things in writing like a contract and having emails and, and things like that. Then, you know, it can 
sometimes uh, avoid having some of those he said, she said things. So I'm going to guess you're probably both not a big fan of Facebook's recent little algorithm thingy where they they post up how quickly you respond to messages. Have you guys both seen this? I think it's actually a good thing. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think that just like, like with text, with Facebook, with Twitter, whatever, any other way that a client can get a hold of you, I think that we just need to... Um, help them understand that the way that, like, and again, this is a personal preference thing. Ha communicate to them, this is how I would want, this is how I want to be communicating to you. Like, again, set that expectation. If I get a Facebook message of someone saying, hey, Brian, love your photography. I've been on your page for a while. wonder if you're avail available for my wedding. I'll reply right away and say, hey, thanks so much for getting in touch. Would you actually mind visiting my website and filling out the contact form there so we have some more details on your wedding, and that way we can communicate via email. So I'll say something like that and I'll reply right away, but I won't have the whole conversation on Facebook because the problem with our sort of um, culture today, especially in business, is that we have too many damn inboxes. Mm -hmm. like we've got our email inbox and potentially we even have more than one email. We have our Facebook inbox. We have our Facebook business page inbox. We have our text messages. It's too complicated. If you're going to run a business and you've got 30, 40 clients on the go at any one given point in time, it's impossible to manage all those inboxes. So yeah. I'm of the opinion, take all of those other inboxes, use them as quick little touch points, but then point them to the direction of the inbox that you actually want to use, which for me is email, and I think you guys are kind of agreeing with the same thing here. So my comment would be the exact same on text message. It happens to me sometimes where a client, after their wedding day, because I give them my cell phone number for the wedding day, um, to text me if anything last minute comes up, I've got it where it's like they get back from their honeymoon and I'll get a text saying, hey, Brian, we're back from our honeymoon. Um, when are the photos ready? And I'll, I'll reply sometimes right away and I have no problem, but I'll actually say, hey, I'm actually not at the office right now. I'm out with the family. Would you mind sending me an email about it? And when I'm back in the office tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock, I'll take a look for you. So I'll just set that expectation. I'll nip it in the butt right away. And then that way from that point forward, we know that the communication goes back and forth via email. Nice. So I want to I want to ask both of you just if you can give me one or just one or two examples of some expectations that you've set or changed that were a direct result of the, maybe a client issue or something that kept coming up that you noticed that hey I got to set a better expectation for this. Have you got some examples that you can kind of give our audience that maybe might help them in their in their business? Well, I've talked about a few of them already, but one that I haven't and we sort of touched on earlier was uh, deliverables of the files. Mm -hmm. You know, we talked about the JPEG versus the RAW. Um, I actually go into even more depth, and I talk about um, that, you know, that it's my prerogative on, you know, what I deliver. There's no minimum or no maximum number, um, you know, because I'll tell people in general conversation, like, yeah, you're probably going to get back somewhere between 500 and 1,000 images from me from a typical wedding. Um, and but I always say you know I'd rather deliver 500 great images than say I'm going to give you a thousand and you have to weed through the garbage. So that's a very ambiguous you know there's not a defined number. So I reiterate that in that little clause in the contract. Um, I talk about that it's my prerogative to give them you know what I expect and I give them the best of the best and I use this word and I said all other files uh, once I've edited and delivered are deleted and I use the word they're deleted there aren't there there's no hope in getting them back you know and yes I have them 
uh, because I don't necessarily delete those raw files. I do have one copy at least of everything that I shot, but I might delete on a backup. You know, I don't save all that ten times. Um, and so I, I talk about that um, and that the stuff, you know, when I give them, I even say, like, you can't see the edits, you know, like, it's done and deleted. You know, I said that's part of that, like, it's deleted. You get what I give you, and that's what you're agreeing to. Yep. And do you spell that out in your contract as well? Yep. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm sort yep. of just verbalizing because I don't have it in front of me of what that says. But, yeah, I mean, I clearly state, because I, I've, I had one client one time really push hard for the edits, and I said no. You know, and it kind of became an issue, but I kept to my guns and I said no. But when that happened, I was like, all right, I need to bolster that part of my contract and really make it very, very clear. And again, if it's something that you're having issue with and you want the clients to understand that, make them initial that clause as well because they can't say, well, I didn't read it. I mean, that goes back to you you were speeding and you can't tell the officer, I didn't know what the speed limit was, you're going to get a ticket. So it's ultimately, again, our responsibility to know what the rules are. So, you know, the client can't say that. And, and ultimately, they can be mad. You can't ever stop that. But if it goes to a court, then you're covered. Yeah. Brian, how about you? Have you got an example of, of a policy or a, 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 an expectation that you've set that came as a result of, you know, you say you're encountering the same issue you notice it popping up yeah. a lot. Have you guys ever had it, and maybe um, our listeners have, have perhaps also had it, where you know, you're know you at the getting to the end of a wedding day and your coverage, you know, let's say that you have six hours of coverage and you know the couple wanted you to stay for the dances or something, and you're looking at your watch saying, looks like we're probably going to be another hour and a half until the dances are actually finished, and that's over and above my six hours. Have you guys ever had it where it's like, do you ask the couple, do you want me to stay? Do you like, it's yep. kind of like on the, for me, I know I've had that where it's like things weren't clear or things got delayed and it was going to all of a sudden run into overtime and I don't necessarily want to give them anything negative on a wedding day. Like, hey, would you like me to charge you $300 an hour for another couple <laughs> hours? Or, you know, it's like, I don't like that as like an experience kind of uh, context. I don't think that that's a great thing to, to throw on a, on a bride and groom on their wedding day. So I've had that situation happen to me in the past. And something that I've adjusted in, in my sort of communication strategy with my clients is to be much more explicit about those kinds of boundaries um, on the wedding day. So first of all, I'll make a point to really have that conversation with them at the first meet and greet about how much time they think they're going to need um, based on their timeline. So I'm not just sort of saying, oh, yeah, just go ahead and book my base package. We'll figure out things later. It's kind of like, no, like my base package is seven hours of coverage. How are things looking? Does it look like we're going to need more than seven hours? If so, let's kind of get that expectation set now because that's going to mean you spend more money, and I want that to be upfront. I don't want you to be surprised with that later on. So I'll have that conversation then. Um, again, just as a side note, I'm a big fan of repeating these kinds of conversations. I think that it's easy to like just say it once and then say, well, well, I told you so, or, well, it's in the contract. I think that we should be saying things more than once so we kind of continually set the expectations. Yeah, for sure. I mean, our clients have a lot going on, right? Yeah. So, I mean, they're not necessarily going to remember every conversation that we have. 
And they might so, do that conversation like a year out from the wedding. Right, yeah, exactly. So they might forget about it, right? Yeah. So I'll have that conversation at the point of the meet and greet. I'll again have that conversation when they're booking, when they email me and say, okay, ready, ready to book, Brian. I'll say, okay, great. So did you want to book the package that has seven hours of coverage? You think seven hours will be enough based on your timelines. So I'll have it a second time then. But the most important one, in my opinion, is that week before the wedding when I'm going over timelines with them, I'll always start the conversation. I always have a, a pre-wedding meeting with them either on the phone or in person and I'll say, okay, so the package you guys have has seven hours of coverage. We're going to keep that in mind as we're planning out the timelines for today. And then once I walk through the timelines with them, if it looks like there might be a situation where I would need more coverage, I'll say to them, do you want to go ahead and add the extra coverage now so that we're safe for it? Or do you want me just to, to add the extra hours afterwards based on how long I stay for? So I'll have that conversation the week before the wedding. So come the wedding day, if it comes time where it's like, hmm, am I going to be staying or am I not? We've already had that conversation. Mm. And I don't have to have that the day of the wedding with the couple. That's a great, yeah, that's a great approach. We ran into that just this past weekend. Things all ran behind and it was, it was we were done at 9.30 and it was 9 and they hadn't even started speeches and things yet. And so unfortunately, like we, we had talked about it, but not, I like your approach there. You know, we had talked about it. We had planned out the timeline. We've done all those things at the, at the wedding consult, but I didn't explicitly talk to them about overtime and going over the timeline, and I should have, and that's something that I think I want to change right from this day. I'm going to change that with our, our next <laughs> consult. But, and I did have to have that awkward conversation, and I, you know, I kind of went up there and said, hey, guys, I see we're running quite a bit behind. It doesn't look like we're going to get to, you know, cover everything. Do you want us to stay for another hour or so? And then we can just, we'll just bill you afterwards. And they kind of talked about it. And then they both were like, mm, no, you can, you can, we'll just end coverage at the planned, at the planned time. So I was like, okay. You know, I felt kind of bad and I, I wanted to stay to get those moments for them. But at the same time, they weren't prepared to pay for us to stay longer. So at the end of the day, it was like, okay, well then, you know, we gave them an extra 15, 20 minutes to, to wrap up the speeches because we didn't want to leave in the middle of speeches. We let them speak speeches finish. But then after that, they still had to like clear all the tables and make room on the dance floor, and they were going to do a slideshow, and there was going to be a whole bunch of things happening before dances. So it was going to be at least another 45 minutes to an hour before dances were going to start. So we, you know, unfortunately at that point, we said, okay, then we're out of here. Basically, not, not, not like that, but, you know. So, yeah, I like your approach of really covering all of those things. That's a great example. Yeah, I think that's a great example, too, because, I mean, that's going to be applicable to a lot of our listeners. I mean, I have sort of a, I say up to 10 hours, which is usually more than enough, but people paying me enough money, I'm not going to, if I have to stay an extra hour, I'm just going to do it, and that's my coverage. But I think this is very uh, apropos to a lot of people who are listening that who do time coverage. And I like, um, Brian, to your approach and just sort of uh, put an explanation point on that. If you ask your client, and again, if it's in the final consultation, and you word it in the way that you said it, it's just brilliant. If, you know, hey, you know, we have seven hours coverage. A lot of times things do run over on the wedding day. If we're in a position where we're going to look like we're going to need to go in the overtime, how would you like me to handle that? Would you like to just mm -hmm. add a couple hours now? Or would you just, because I don't like to discuss business on the wedding day. I want you to have a good time. So if we do end up going and we need to stay over, you know, are you okay if I just send you a bill afterwards for the hour or the two, whatever we end up going over with you full well knowing that it's 500 an hour or whatever. Right. You know, it's such a great way because you're, you're, how would you like me to handle that? And they tell you and yeah. they cannot argue with you later. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, I agree. That's yeah, that's excellent. I'm going to start. Uh, that's a change I'm making today in our in our pre-wedding consoles to make sure we're really because we do. I mean, we talk about it when we're going through the timelines and stuff like that. But yeah, when the when the rubber hits the road and the you know what hits the fan on the day, then it's like oh crap, did we did we actually really talk about that beforehand or how did we plan to deal with the with the overage? Like we've informed them that this is our rate and yes, it, we're available to stay for longer. But yeah, having that conversation at the wedding is awkward. So and that's exactly what you like what you just said, Bruce. Like I'm going to change that from right now. That's accepting responsibility. That's what I was talking about. I didn't like how it made the client felt. I didn't like how I felt. So I'm going to avoid that in the future by yep. making change right now. Yep. And, yep. and I think that's like that's probably a good exercise. Like I guess as like kind of in a summary or I guess a, a way to empower our listeners to figure out what they want to do in their business because I mean we could sit here and talk about different examples of this and there's probably like we said earlier like hundreds and hundreds of examples. Look at the pain points in your business. Look at the points where you've had issues in the past or where there's a miscommunication and get to the crux of that. Why did that happen that way? And then how can you now fix it? How can you communicate that more effectively so that there's no miscommunication in the future? Yep. And I think that's a great that's a great way to do it. I can, I can give an, I have just another example popped in my head. Can I share it quickly? Yeah, yeah. Um, I've often had it, and I'm again I'm sure I'll ask you guys if you've ever had this, and I'm sure listeners have had this. Um, at the engagement session, at the end of the session, when it's like, all right, we're done, high fives, good job, hugs, whatever you're doing. For me, you know, in the past, the 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 question then was, okay, so so what, when are we going to get these photos? Like, I'm so excited to see them. When are we going to get them? And in my head, I'm saying, you, you actually don't get them. Like, I'll give you a gallery within a few weeks, but you don't get the digitals from this. You have to order something from it because that's the way that my packages are structured. That was always super awkward to finish off an amazing session with my couple to say, oh, right, yeah, no, if you want to go ahead and get something from this, you got to buy it. <laughs> you know? yeah. and it's like, oh, shoot. That was, that was totally a miscommunication on my part that I wasn't explicit enough in those expectations. So again, there was the pain point. I had that too many times and I said, I got to fix something in this. And so I made the point then in my meet and greet to say, okay, from your engagement session, what we do is we include just your session. From there, because every couple wants something different, um, you have to then decide what you want to do with the photos. So your choices might be if you wanted to add the digital files from the engagement session, which you can go ahead and do for $600. The other option is to add this beautiful engagement book, which is $900, which includes the digital files. Most couples will actually go with that. The last option is if you don't want to add anything right now or if you don't want to add it into your package, we can just include the engagement session itself. I'll give you an online gallery after the engagement session and then you can choose to purchase prints or digital files by themselves. So I'll have that conversation at the meet and greet to be extremely explicit about it and I'll repeat it in the email when we're scheduling their engagement session. So come the end of the session, I'll be like, so did you guys think about it? Like, what are you thinking you wanted to do with these like we were talking about previously? And there's no assumption made that they're going to be getting the files and then I have to kind of be the bearer of bad news. Yeah, we've run into that too, just because our packages, there's digitals uh, from the wedding day are included. Exactly, so yeah. they just assume that the exactly. digitals from everything are included. Exactly. And we we're, we frame it the same way. It's just yep. the session that's in the, the thing. And we had one client that they were like, they ripped us a new one over email yep. and called us liars and all yep. the rest of these things. And I said, oh, wait, wait a minute. Like, let's go back and take a look at the, the actual packages because it was mm -hmm. all broken down and spelled out in there. And I said, nowhere in here does it say that the engagement photos are included as part of the package. It's the wedding. And then I looked in the contract and I didn't specifically say in the contract wedding right. images. Mm -hmm. It just said images. And so there was that assumption, right? And so, you know, we had to kind of 
agree to disagree a little on that, and we worked them a little bit of a deal and gave them the engagement session yep. images at, at a slightly better price. But from that point forward, I made a course correction, yep. made sure to change that policy, not policy, but just the wording in the contract, and have that explicit explicit conversation with them beforehand. Yep. So another great example. Cool. So again, I think these are all great examples about you know managing client expectations, whether it's deliverables, whether it's talking about availability, you know timelines, the price. All of these things are expectations that that we have to make sure that we're constantly reviewing, looking at, setting with our clients, so that we can avoid any of those customer service um, you know issues. And it's it's the only way to exceed. They always say you want to be exceeding customer expectations, right? Well, the only way you can exceed customer expectations is if you set expectations to begin with. If you don't set any expectations, what is there to exceed, right? So I think we've all got some great, uh, good tips and good advice for everybody. So um, before we, uh, we're going to take just a, a short break to thank our sponsor for this episode. But after the break, we're going to dig into the Twip Weddings mailbag and we're going to answer a listener question. So we've talked about the importance of your website as a wedding photographer. It's going to be the first point of contact for many of your clients. It's where they're going to come to see your portfolio. It's going to be where they're going to, they want to learn more about who you are as a photographer. And there's a lot of different choices out there when it comes to building a website. But uh, one of the great uh, resources that's out there for you is Squarespace. If you're looking to take some of the complexity out of building a website, check out Squarespace. Um, you can start building a website today at squarespace.com. And what you're going to find is, you know, sites look great. They're professionally designed, regardless of your skill level. You don't need to worry about coding and all that other stuff that comes along with some of the other options. Uh, the other great thing about Squarespace is it's website and hosting all-in-one solutions. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to worry about your host and finding somebody else to host your site and then somebody else to build the site and code the site. It's all-in-one solution. Uh, it's intuitive. It's got very easy-to-use tools. It's using very state-of-the-art technology, uh, powering the site, so you know it's going to be stable, secure. It's almost impossible to bring down a Squarespace site as well. So if you're getting lots of traffic, which hopefully you are, um, you, don't have, you don't have to worry about your site going down and, and people not being able to reach you. Uh, it's trusted by millions of people and some of the most respected brands in the world. Lots of wedding photographers are using Square, Squarespace to build their site. And it starts at only $8 a month, and you get a free domain if you sign up for a year. So if you want to start your free trial today with no credit card required, just visit squarespace.com. And when you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code WED to get 10% off your first purchase. So we want to thank Squarespace for supporting TWIP Weddings and encourage all of our listeners to head on over to squarespace.com and uh, check things out. I think you'll be pleased with the results. Squarespace, build it beautiful. Okay, we're back to answer a listener question, and each week we will choose a listener question to answer on the show. This week we've got a question from Craig Collins. Craig says, I'm new to wedding photography, and I want to put up a website. So I'm going to refer Craig to go back to our episode where we talked all about websites for photographers, um, but he's got a very specific question. My question is, is, if I have not shot my first wedding, how do I set it up when I don't have any images of weddings I have shot? Would it be okay to use stock images or ask a fellow photographer to use some of his images? Or should I just use images I have that are not wedding related? Oh, boy. Wow. And <laughs> words on this one. Okay. Um, my, my quick opinion, well, okay, no, never use any images that are not yours. That's like the hardest no I've ever said ever yeah. on any podcast because you're going to set an expectation if you yes. do that, right yes oh my gosh okay don't use somebody else's images 
second of all, I would actually uh, sorry, it was Craig, right? Yeah, Craig. Craig yeah. I, I would I would suggest to Craig, and I guess anyone listening, let's really think about what we're trying to do here. You're saying I haven't shot a wedding yet, yet I want to put a website up advertising that I'm a wedding photographer. My encouragement would to say don't market yourself as a wedding photographer and don't try and get hired as a wedding photographer unless you've shot some weddings. Yeah. Um, because I think that you're going to be misleading people, you're going to be setting yourself up for failure, and you're going to be kind of, you're, you're going to meet so many challenges in that, in that. So I would say it's not time to market yourself on the web, which is what your website is for, until you're actually ready to be a wedding photographer, which would require you to have photographed some weddings. So I would say get out there, practice, second shoot, assist, um, do some model shoots, do some style shoots, do some collaborations, go to workshops, do some training, keep listening to our podcast, do a couple of years of training to be a wedding photographer, get some weddings under your belt as a second shooter, as an assistant, whatever you're doing with some friends, with some model shoots, you can get a portfolio built up. Once you've refined your skill set, once you're actually on that path to being a wedding photographer and you're confident to say, I think I can start to take bookings now then you should have a body of work already built up because you've been practicing and you've been doing second shooting. So that would be my suggestion, and only once you've hit that point should you get a website going. Yep. Robert, anything to add? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, when he is ready, when Craig's ready, he should go to Squarespace to build his website. Right, yes. That's <laughs> super easy. I mean, just, you know, so he should check that out, check out the sponsor. Um, it's interesting, I just had a very similar question uh, I have another blog that's called Wedding Photography 411 that I occasionally post to, but there's a lot of good content, but it's specifically uh, aimed at the bride and groom. But a photographer wrote me off it because I do get a lot of photographers look at it um, <clears throat> and said pretty much the same thing. Like, is He said, is there a set price list that I should start? I'm new, but I have professional equipment. You know, and I, I basically my answer in a nutshell was, well, first of all, just because you own a camera doesn't mean that you're a professional photographer. I said, I think you owe it to your clients to, um, you know, be honest. I said, it's okay if both people know, again, communication, that you're new and they offer to pay you $500 to shoot their wedding. Well, they're taking a risk, too, and you're gathering experience. I said, but don't put yourself out there like, you know, don't charge $2,000 because you see that's what everyone's doing, but you have no idea. I said, you know, second shoot, shoot for other photographers, get experience. And I said, you can, there is really no set price. You can set your price at whatever you want, but, you know, raise your price based on your experience. And so it was kind of along the same lines, but yeah, I would say the same thing, um, you know, and, and Craig, if you want to put anything up there, I mean, you can start because it's a great, the website, you can always change images. Yeah, put up what you've done, even if you've never shot a wedding, put up your scenic pictures, put up whatever, you just never know. Someone might be like, wow, I really love your landscapes, you know, hey, we're getting married or whatever, but it's, it's just a good start. Uh, it's a good way to practice, you know, putting your brand out there and working on that and developing it. You know, you've, you've got to start somewhere. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we hear stories all the time. There's a whole website, you know, devoted to, you know, stop stealing photos of, you know, photographers that have stolen other photographers' images, done their work. And what you've done is you've, you're setting yourself up for failure because all you're going to do is you're going to set an expectation. So there was one photographer, I remember, he was stupid enough to actually steal images from Jerry Guionis. Like, how stupid you got to be I remember that. You know, one of the top wedding photographers in the world. Put put them all over his site said, yeah, this is my work, great. And then they go out and they shoot the wedding, and it's, like, absolutely nothing even close, right? So now you've got a pissed-off client. You've got, you know, 
you're drawing the fire from the entire internet world when they find out you've stolen Jerry's work, right? You're just setting yourself up for so many issues and so many problems that is it really worth it to get that one wedding or book a couple of weddings and make a couple hundred bucks? Is it really worth it? Like, no, don't. Just don't. <laughs> no. Excellent. All right. So if you have a question, uh, like Craig did, uh, we want to hear from you. And so you can head on over to thisweekinphoto.com and leave your questions and comments on the blog post. Or you can also submit your questions by emailing us at twipwed at thisweekinphoto.com or just send out a tweet and use the hashtag twipwed and we'll keep an eye out for those as well. So finally, before we close off the show, we want to uh, go into our Picks of the Week segment, and each episode we will share a photography-related item that we think would benefit wedding photographers. Our picks can be anything as long as they are somehow related to the photography or the business of photography. And Brian, I'm going to throw it over to you. I know you made a pick earlier, kind of a, a pre-pick, which was Boomerang for Gmail, but do you have another, do you have a second? Is that going to be your pick? Or? Uh, hmm. You can, it can be your pick. That's okay. Okay, yeah, I still be my pick. I'll, I'll quickly. My other pick was going to be my Apple Watch, um, but I think I can reserve that for another one, and I can talk sure. a more in detail later on that one. But yeah, Boomerang for Gmail. Oh my gosh, it is like a lifesaver. Um, not only for the reason that I talked about earlier, where you can basically um, take an email, reply to it, and then say send later, but you can actually. Let's say that you're sitting in your inbox this morning. I have this thing, or there's this concept called inbox zero, and I don't want to go into too too much detail on like inbox clarity and sort of inbox management. But I'm of the opinion that your inbox should not be your to-do list. Your inbox should only be things that you haven't done yet. So my goal at the end of every day is to get to what's called inbox zero, which means I've gotten all my emails replied to, and once I reply to them, I file them away into an archive folder. <laughs> so boomerang for Gmail, Robert, why are you laughing? I've tried that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot. There's a lot. Maybe I've attempted that several times. <laughs> Maybe Robert's we should... at like inbox three twenty-five. That's his. Yeah. We should do it. We should do an episode just on inbox clarity. I I, I think that's like an amazing topic, and I think it's something a lot of photographers struggle with. Ooh, um, I like that. But regardless, I won't go too deep into the inbox zero idea. But um, boomerang allows you to basically take an email that's in your inbox, and let's say that. It's not time right now to deal with whatever's in there. Maybe somebody says something like, oh, hey, uh, next week, can we talk about blah, blah, blah. Replying to it right now doesn't make sense, and keeping it in my inbox for a week doesn't make sense. So I can use Boomerang and say, hey, Boomerang, take this email, get it out of my inbox for seven days, and return it back in seven days from now. So it's kind of away from my view until I actually need to act on it. Hmm. So I love those kinds of things because... Um, it allows me to have clarity and not always see that inbox or that email every single time I open up my inbox. Hmm. So Boomerang for Gmail is amazing and it's free. So I mean, you really can't go wrong oh, with that. Nice. And where can people go to get that? I think it's just boomerangforgmail.com. We'll have a link okay. to it in the show notes. Yeah, but we'll just Google it. Notes. Yeah, it's uh, right there. Nice, and it's free. Yep. Fantastic. Excellent, Robert. What have you got for us this week? Well, so I know last week I talked about a new camera that I got. Yes. I have to because I'm so excited about it. Um, I just got the, for those of that listening or what viewing, the new R2. Mm. This camera is just so amazing, and I know by the time the show comes out um, in a month or so, it'll you know definitely be even more. Uh, but, uh, wow, I can't say enough about this thing. It's, you know, I love shooting uh, Sony stuff, but this camera has just really blown me away. Um, I know, and I get a ton of questions from people that are like, you know, should I switch? Why should I switch? You know, the one thing that I can say is like, if you're on the fence, like go rent the camera, you mm -hmm. know, go rent it and see, you know, what it does and, you know, what it can do for you. But 
but wow, it's just, with the, you know, they have a new back illuminated sensor in it, which allows many of the functions from the previous cameras that each had a different function in it because of that sensor, but silent shutter, five access point, high ISO, um, phase detection plus contrast focusing, uh, 4K video internal. I mean, there's so many awesome things about this camera. So yeah. next week, next episode, I promise I won't plug a camera, but I'm excited about that one. So it has to be just my natural pick of the week. I am. Um, yeah, I, I'm really seriously wanting to take a hard look at the at the Sony cameras now that I'm seeing all the reports and all the information coming out on, on the A7R2. And it's like, Hmm. I'm but one thing that I'll say, like, you know, so that I can be a little bit neutral. It is a big file. It's a 42 megapixel file, which I personally think is a little bit big. Yeah. Uh, we can't shoot our whole wedding that way. So my thought already is um, I'm going to shoot maybe my bride and groom pictures and my family pictures with that. And then, you know, like I've mentioned before, like I'll use my A6000 to shoot getting ready and maybe cocktail candids and, you know, even during the ceremony sometimes, you know, depending on, cause it's just lighter and flexible and more easy. Yep. Um, and, you know, at the reception, you know, I don't need obviously that big a file as well, but I, I really like using the small cameras and, you know, slowly but surely stepping away from my A99. Yeah. We should, I want to do a, a full show with you and really dig into the, into the Sony ecosystem a little bit and talk a bit more about some of the, some of the advantages that those cameras have over sort of the traditional uh, DSLRs. Cause I think the market is it's shifting and I think Nikon and Canon are really, really struggling to kind of keep up, you know, particularly Canon. I, I was out with a friend this week and she had a new D750 and it had some really cool features in it, like the ability to Wi-Fi photos to her phone and all that kind of stuff. And I just don't see Canon doing any of that stuff. And it's really starting to frustrate yeah. me. So well, I think, you know, the, when I say part of Canon's problem, I don't mean that it's a problem because I shot Canon prior to shooting Sony and, and I loved my Canons. I wasn't disappointed, but when I saw the opportunity of like, well, maybe there's something better out there. And, you know, as photographers, we're such creatures of habit, uh, but I'm happy that I, I, I opened my mind and made the jump. Yeah. Um, but Canon is like so entrenched in lenses. Yeah. If they make a mirrorless camera. It basically puts all their lenses obsolete and that's their biggest problem or, or their struggle, I think for them, because they have to make a whole new line of lenses and therein lies a, a huge challenge for them. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be interested to see what, uh, what happens here in the next couple of years with both, you know, the big players and see what happens, but excellent pick. I'm, I'm of the mindset. I want to try and rent one uh, when they have them available here at my local camera store and just take one out for a, a spin and see, spend it, spend a couple of weeks with it and really dig into it and see what I think so well my pick um really I'm gonna it's it's a great blog post actually and it's uh, Brian had written about a year ago a really uh, great blog post on setting client uh, expectations so over at uh, spartingphotographer.com so we'll put a link to the, to it but he really kind of breaks down a lot of the stuff that we talked about today about setting client expectations uh, so it's a really great article so that's going to be my pick this week Awesome. All right. So that brings us to the end of another episode of TWIP Weddings. We want to thank again, our thank our sponsor for their support of this episode. And we want to remind you to send in your questions for the show and share your thoughts by commenting on the blog post for this episode. So before we wrap up, um, Brian had to duck out. He had, he had a, an important meeting to get to. So you'll have, we'll have links to all of his uh, social presences on uh, on the website, but you can find him. Of course, Sprouting Photographer is where he does a lot of his uh, posting and, and blogging, and we'll have links to all of his other sites on there as well. But Robert, where can people find you, and what are you up to over the next uh, coming 
coming weeks. Same thing with me. Coming weeks, uh, end of the week, I'm getting on a plane, going to uh, Colorado for a few days to visit some family. And then I come back and fly back to California uh, to shoot a wedding in down in San Diego area. And so that's what I have coming up. And as far as getting a hold of me, finding me, it's pretty much all under my name. All my social media at Robert Evans is Instagram and Twitter. RobertEvans.com is the website uh, and Facebook, Robert Evans Studios. You can find me there. Um, and Google Plus is Robert Evans 101. Excellent. Sounds good. Again, we'll have links to everybody's profiles in the show notes. And if you're looking for me, uh, you can find us. Our website is momentsindigital.com and our blog and everything is there. And then on all the social media networks, you'll find me at Bruce Clark. uh, And that's Clark has an E at the end. So feel free to follow me on any of those. So again, just be sure to visit our website at This Week in Photo. And thanks again for listening to Twip Weddings, raising the bar one wedding at a time.